What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, Rhoda here, the producer of Echo Park. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening. Your support is the reason we can keep making shows like this one. And we loved making Echo Park. So much, in fact, that our team here at Realm sat down with the writer Curtis C. Chen and director Pun Bandu to get their insight on bringing the show to life. And also what it was like working with the brilliant, incredible, versatile, Harry Shum Jr. We hope you enjoy this conversation between two of my favorite creators. And without further ado, Curtis and Pun. I am Heather Mason, the digital marketing lead at Realm. And today we're here to have a really awesome conversation and get some behind the scenes insights on Echo Park, which is a show that everyone is enjoying and wants to know what happens. And I have two of the people that are instrumental in making the show. And I'll let you guys introduce yourselves. Curtis, do you want to go first? Yeah. Hi, I'm Curtis C. Chen. I am the lead writer on Echo Park. Hi, everybody. So glad everyone's enjoying the episodes. My name is Pun Bandu, and um, I directed the episodes. So first of all, I wanted to know kind of like how you got involved in the project. Curtis, like, how did the idea come to you? Like, what was the what was the process like? starting out because you're one of the writers. Yeah, so it, it actually started with Rhoda Beyeza, who's the, our producer on the show, and she came to me with a one-page pitch for the premise, and she and I worked together to develop it into a more like fully fleshed out idea of the world and the specific story and the characters that were going to be in it. And then that evolved even more uh, after we brought on the four other writers it was a longer process than uh, than previous shows I'd worked on. So uh, for for Realm, I previously written on Machina, which was Fran Wilde's uh, show, and Ninth Step Murders with Malka Older, who was the lead on that. And I really enjoyed the collaboration process, which is why Rhoda came back to me and said, "Hey, would you want to, you know, take more of a a lead role on this and and actually help, you know, come up with you know the the premise for the whole thing," which was very cool. So when you were working on James and Terrence, they're very different. <laughs> what was it like? Like, how did you approach writing them as mirrors of each other and and very different at the same time? Yeah, I mean, a lot of that came out of, you know, talking about the kind of story you wanted to tell. Initially, just, you know, Rhoda and me, the two of us. And then when we had the writer's room, you know, going through it with everyone, like, what are some interesting moments we could have between the two of them, or, you know, what are some ways that, you know, the escalation of the plot, because 
hopefully everyone's listened to a few episodes now. So, you know, like people are going missing and people are being, you know, murdered or whatnot. So how do those, you know, specific turns in the plot affect each of them differently? And those were all opportunities to show like, you know, James has had this particular kind of life and Terrence has had this very different other kind of life. And that has affected them a lot more in many cases than, you know, just their genetics have, because they are, you know, on that level, the same person, you know, starting out, but then their separate lives have really, really shaped them into, you know, people that they are when we meet them in the story. And I'm kind of curious, uh, as a question for Pun, like when you approach directing it and telling Harry, like he's going to, you know, be these two different people, like how did you, how did you sort of steer him in that? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's so, Curtis, you, you and the writers did such a great job of making the, not only the context and the world so distinct, but the characterizations are so distinct. And so it brought certain things, you know, and, and a lot of the process, Harry and I had a workshop process where we were just trying out different characters before we stepped into the recording booth, you know, just, a, just as a way to sort of experiment and differentiate and make specific all the characters. I think Harry plays like over 20 characters. And for James and Terrence specifically, I sort of focused on the fact that, you know, first of all, my background, you, you asked how we, we came into this. I've, I've worked with the producer of Realm, uh, Fred Greenlee, on another podcast series uh, of the ElfQuest series, the audio movie version of the well-known graphic novel comic series, where I was an actor in it. That is my, that is my trade, primarily, uh, more than directing. And so I understood that these characters are actually characters that Asian actors very rarely get a chance to play. And I say that, you know, not, not only because there are so few stories out there with Asian leads in that, but James, especially, you know, as sort of the bad boy, you know, rich kid with a drug problem, that's a character that I haven't really seen before in, you know, in popular culture. And I, I sort of wanted to lean into that as sort of, you know, James as our leading man, you know, he's... He's driven by justice and and a need to be to be useful. But you know, all the layers of of not meeting his potentiality, you know, the expectations of the parents, which of course every uh, Asian listener understands uh, culturally, you know, but how that manifests in sort of that archetype of of a leading man who's sort of an anti-hero of sorts but you're, you're still rooting for him. And so that manifests itself in, in his vocal quality. You know, uh, James has a, has a deeper sort of like more raspy voice and Terrence as sort of the antithesis of that. You know, we, we talked about what it's like to grow up in the retreat, you know, being a clone and sort of being treated even before they were treated as second-class citizens, but the process of growing up, you know, were they all uh, taught English in a certain way or do they have accents? What is the process of being told what to do your entire life and how does that affect your psyche? Um, and then Terrence is so and empathetic. You know, how do you bring that quality into the character and so what we found with Terrence was more sort of a less of an assurance that James has, sort of a stilted quality, a little bit higher pitched voice, but also sort of a soothing quality to him, almost like a boyishness, you know, a, a willingness to someone who's been told, you know, what to do their entire life. And it's just now sort of finding their own identity and independence. And in many ways, they find that through each other. 
it's so beautifully written that, that way. And so that really was the main contrast that we were playing with. Curtis, when you guys were writing, do you think about the voices? How do you communicate that? Or do you just let Pun and Harry figure it out? Yeah, so I don't know what other people have been doing during the pandemic, but um, like we, we had to do this all remotely because Rhoda and I were talking about it a while ago. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, we were fortunate enough that uh, by the time we were ready to put together the writer's room, the sort of remote working stuff had been figured out already. So we were able to do, you know, the collaboration through Zoom and, you know, sharing documents online and all that kind of stuff. So when we're working with the writers, so it was Millie Ho, Sloan Leong, Monty Lin, and Jen Reese were um, the other writers on the project. And they were all really great. And um, I'm really glad that we we had the team that we did because they all brought a slightly different perspective to the project. Most of us are Asian American. And so we were really interested in doing, as Pam mentioned, like more interesting kinds of representation, having, you know, more than one Asian character in the story. And obviously James and Terrence, that's sort of the big pairing or like the two characters that are sort of easy to, you know, compare to each other in terms of how are they different. But like having, you know, a lot of the supporting cast and especially, you know, people in the background also sort of be non-white, um, that was kind of important to us. So it was e easier to have those conversations um, with the writers that, that we were able to get. In terms of the voice, um, like we had no idea when we were writing it, like who we were going to be able to, like who Realm was going to be able to get to like actually narrate it. So we were just kind of writing the story, you know, in the best way that we thought we could tell it, right? Given, you know, all the sort of things we wanted to highlight in it. And there are lots of different levels, which, you know, hopefully some of those are, are coming through as people listen to it. I always think of the, the mechanical plot level in terms of like, you know, we're looking for this person and we're like, this thing is happening and there's this problem we have to solve. And then there's another level on like the characters of like, this thing just happened. How's this person reacting to it? Does that affect how they're able to solve the problem? And then there's sort of rippling out where there's kind of what's happening in the rest of the world and how is that either, you know, being affected by what our characters are doing or is that sort of like pushing in on them and forcing them uh, into certain choices along the way? So all of that, it was really cool to be able to have those discussions. But, you know, we didn't really worry too much about who was going to be reading it. And there were a lot of different conversations along the way because this was, you know, it was going to be the main character and his clone. So there were a lot of conversations about, like, do we get two different actors to do this? Do we get multiple narrators? But I'm really happy we end up with Harry because he's doing a fantastic job. You know, I, I've personally been a fan of his for a while. And to see him do something where I think a lot of his, you know, on-screen stuff is sort of influenced by his physicality, right? Like he's the dancer. So, you know, that's sort of an easy thing to show off in a visual medium. But I'm glad that, you know, for the podcast, he, he has a chance to shine using like a very different set of actorly skills. Although I will have to say that Harry being such a physical actor actually plays into the transformational aspects of things as well. We very much leaned into, you know, it, sometimes it's easier to transform when you can find it in your body, you know, and that changes the resonance and, and where that is. Or even if I would give a direction like, let's lean into Terrence's heart energy, his purity, his innocence, you know, and all of the things that that evokes by just uh, literally sort of like focusing on your body of everything sort of coming from the heart, you know? Yeah. 
the world for this is interesting because it's kind of set in like near future LA. So really for both of you, how did you approach the world building specifically like audio? We only have audio. So like, how did you, when you're writing it, how did you kind of set up the world and figure out that aspect and also with directing? So I, I can speak for, for myself and having had the past experience with Realm, um, like the first series I worked on was Ninth Step Murders, which was Malka Older's show. And that was sort of my first experience with this kind of podcast where it wasn't just like an audiobook, but it also has, you know, some music in it and like background audio and sound effects. And that was something that I thought was really, really cool when I first heard those episodes. And so knowing that, I kind of trusted that, you know, we would just be able to write things and anything we mentioned that was sort of an interesting, you know, future detail, for example, or even something mundane like a phone ringing or like a car door opening or closing, like that would sort of be, um, you know, punched up in the audio production. And so as writers, I felt like we didn't have to worry about it too much as long as we were writing a good story and sort of laying out sort of a good guide for both the, the narrator and the rest of the production team to, to put it all together. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Yeah, in terms of the directing, building the world, we, we wanted to make sure that that this was not so futuristic, you know, that this was a very relatable world, that yes, the cars drive themselves, but it's still a car. They're still honking. We're not in the Jetsons world yet. Uh, and so things are very much relatable. We kept it sort of low tech in that aspect. And in fact, we sort of really leaned into... Rhoda mentioned, Curtis, that you were really uh, inspired by Chinatown, the movie, and the noir genre. And that sort of, again, goes back to what I was saying, is that, like, Asians are never, we are not part of that genre, in a way, except for when we were, uh, when it was white actors in Yellowface playing, you know, yellow menace characters, you know. And so I love that, you know, when you, when you look Chinatown, the movie, it's like it takes place in Chinatown, but there are no Asian characters, you know. And so for us to sort of reclaim that genre of sorts was really important for me. And so our future is sort of, in some ways, has sort of throwback elements to 1950s and 1960s. And and we we created that through music, you know, the type of suspenseful tension music that you make a movie or in in a film noir genre. It's more sort of, you know, it's dark. You can you can visualize sort of like a street lamp and sort of dark corners. And, you know, so that type of moodiness, we definitely didn't want it to sort of take place in sort of a, like a neon bright future. 
And, and so I think the music complements that as well. You know, it's not techno, super, super futuristic or anything like that. So that's all part of sort of building the world. Martin Fowler, our composer, did such a great job of really traversing those two worlds of the film noir genre, but still making it futuristic at the same time. And it was interesting. He actually asked the question of, you know, he was really inspired by the fact of, that this is sort of populated by so many Asian characters. And he was like, do you want some of the instrumentation to include like Chinese instruments? And my response to that was no, because we're still living in, in America and it's Asian America. And even though the Zhangs speak with them in, in Mandarin and, and they, they might have accents, it's not heavily influenced by Chinese music per se. Um, so, so those types of decisions kind of went into sort of what is the story we want to tell and what, what is the world that we want to build? Yeah. And I definitely, you know, as one of the creators, I really appreciate that sort of insight into, you know, what the story is and what it isn't. Because, you know, like you said, you know, it's set in Los Angeles. And I feel like it's much more an L.A. story than it is any kind of like ethnic story, if, you know, if that's a thing. Um, and we definitely wanted to play with the idea of uh, identity, but using the the fact of you know these clones existing uh, more than any sort of like you know immigrants even though that is kind of it is a part of it it wasn't like the the main thing that we wanted to explore in the story that brings me to another question which is that like i live in la and i felt like there are a lot of themes in this show that were very like relevant to LA, as you mentioned, it's very like LA story, but there's a lot of themes in general in the show for both of you. Did, were there certain themes that you were like really excited to portray or to talk about or to have in the show? So I, uh, I grew up in Torrance, uh, shout out Del Alma Mall. So a lot of the stuff that I was able to sneak in there, I was happy to get away with it in, in any way. When Rhoda and I, you know, were first talking about, you know, the premise and developing it, because at, at first it was just sort of, you know, she wanted something dealing with clones and this person and, and their clone having very different lives and then being forced together um, to deal with, you know, some kind of uh, situation. And she always had the idea that it, it should be something, you know, like Pang was saying, like a little more like seedy and gritty and like. And, and again, that's sort of something we we stuck to, and I think it really helped sell the um, you know this idea that the clones are these sort of second class citizens that you know the government says that you know people have to let them exist, but they're still looked down upon for various reasons. And one one thing I uh, one thing we played with a lot in the earlier earlier development phases was you know what exactly James's job was was going to be. So at first we were uh, talking about making him like a lawyer, like a district attorney for in LA, um, so that he would have contact with the police and also with, but not be a, you know a cop himself. Um, and at one point I did go to high school with someone who is now an actual like LA County district attorney. So like I got him on the phone and like kind of interviewed him about like what his job is like and what kind of stuff he has to deal with. And that was a really interesting conversation. And it was a nice chance to, you know, reconnect with someone during the pandemic. But then as we kept working on the story, we eventually came around to the idea that, you know, one, we wanted to feel a little more futuristic. And two, this is something else that Rodo and I had been talking about from the very beginning. And 
and one of the reasons we wanted to set it sort of outside, you know, the the system, like we didn't want to do it as, you know, police procedure or anything like that. We wanted it more in the, not necessarily a, a crime story, but just kind of like, you know, outside of the official lines. Well, as we were talking about, you know, in uh, 2020, you know, the, the the protests for Black Lives Matter and all those sort of, you know, protests against the, the police. Um, and at one point, <laughs> she, she, she sent me an article about how um, people were now complaining about Paw Patrol and because there's like a police dog and how that is sort of like glorifying. It's like, you know, another piece of propaganda that's like sort of glorifying, you know, law enforcement to like tiny children. And I, and I wrote back here, wow, you, you know, shit got real when they come for Paw Patrol. And so we ended up with the idea of James being this uh, civil advisor, which is a new thing we made up, but which came out very much came out of, you know, all of the conversations that the larger society was having about what is the role of policing and is is having, you know, these, you know, armed officers who are trained to react in a very specific way, the best way for our society to deal with, you know, people who are, you know, unhoused or mentally ill or, you know, a lot of these situations where the situation is not best resolved through tactics of force, you know, and and essentially like police are trained to use violence to react to most things, right? They're not really trained in de-escalation or anything like that. So we wanted to create sort of a a third option that wasn't the police or the DA. Um, was, so we made up the civil advisor, which James is going to be, and he works for the county, specifically the police, and he's there sort of also as a watchdog for the police. And the idea that we want to make those people accountable, and so we were able to to then sort of talk about how the police are sort of now, you know, redirecting a lot of that violence toward the the clone community, the echoes, because they're sort of like not allowed to, you know, mess with a lot of other people these days. Yeah, connected to that theme, uh, we were very much focused on the theme of racism and oppression and systemic oppression, especially, and what that means in the near future. What is racial equality look like, you know, 10, 20, 30 years from now? Along those same lines, the themes of, of sort of like the of Asians as model minority sort of came to the surface. You know, James is, comes from a very privileged background, and yet, you know, he's still he's he still has to face at the police precinct. You know, people is saying his name wrong. You know, it's, it's Zhang versus Zhang. You know, and, and things like that, and and what it means to be. Uh, model minority, you know, that that relationship is so that is so tenuous in a way, as we saw, it was really relevant as we went, went through the the process of recording it. I was feeling all of the the emotions of the rise of anti-Asian violence, you know, uh, the recent rise in anti-Asian violence, which, of course, is is part of a long history of violence against Asians in America. But these clones being sort of seen as as second-class citizens in a way, even though they share the same DNA, how how tenuous those uh, relationships are uh, in terms of of how much power you're 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 given within the society. And so it became much more about uh, themes of class, uh, themes of a continued oppression. Uh, and then the other theme that we were very focused on was actually n- nature versus nurture. The idea of what it means, you know, to to share the same DNA, but to have su- such complete different upbringings, and how that changes your identity and your personhood, 
and your opportunities in society. And so that was very front and center when we were creating the distinctions between James and Terrence, especially. Hun, question for you specifically, and it's kind of just like, I'm interested to know, like what's directing in audio versus directing in, I don't know if you've, have you directed in any other formats and what are kind of like the differences? What are the focuses? Like, how is it a different process or is it the exact same process? Yeah. So I have directed in the audio world before. I've directed theater before. Audio world is is very different. And what we realized is that, um, you know, Harry is so naturalistic. It's what makes him such a great film and TV actor. In the audio world, you can't throw things away as much because that's all you have to create the world, you know? And so we we learned very early on that we had to slow things down because, it's really important for the for the listener to go on this journey with you and to understand, you know, you have to paint the picture for them. And so that was something that we worked a lot on that was that was different in the audio world, but ostensibly it's still the same craft. And no matter what medium you're in, that's one of the great things about the audio world is that you are the sole storyteller. You know, you play all the characters, you set the tone and the pace and it's so elemental, you know, it's sort of like being around a campfire telling a story, you know, it's prehistoric. So the the craft is is all the same. And, and if anything, it's heightened by the fact that you're playing all these different characters. And one of the brilliant things about the way that Curtis and the writers wrote this is that it is in many ways, there are there are so many inception-like levels of playing. You know, it's it's a human pretending to be a clone, pretending to be a human with with differing agendas. And there are moments where the the mask has to be revealed or it has to be clear sort of that this human is interpreting someone's innocuous conversation as one character, even though they are trying to mask it as another. And so at what points does James's true personality appear even when he's trying to convince other people that he's playing Terrence. And how do you convey that? And how does it come across in the audio world? And and all you have is your voice to do that. And so it's actually very, very difficult. It requires an actor with such versatility and depth and ability to convey that convincingly, you know, that, um, you know, if you listen in and you, you, you should know that James is on Chunky Rainbow, you know, even though he's trying to sound lucid in front of other people, you know, so it, it's, it's that level of nuance is, is, is really uh, was one of the most difficult things to attack and, and to understand sort of like, oh, wait, it's actually to make it as clear as possible was, uh, was one of the, the, the great hurdles and challenges of directing this. Uh, and I think that Harry rose to the occasion and, and met it beautifully. Yeah, I have to agree. And I've done a a tiny bit of voice acting myself. I've narrated some podcasts of other people's short stories. And for those, I tend to lean a lot on like coming up with like very, very different voices for different characters. And I think in, in this, in Echo Park, the way that Harry does it with such subtlety is like really, really great. And one terminology, I have to point out that the clones are also human. Like they're all humans. They just came from a different place. So in the story, we call them the original the people are sources and then the clones call themselves echoes. And that's sort of the the words they prefer. And it, and it also goes to sort of like they have their own little clone culture 
and their church, where they, which they call the Circle. And that was sort of a, another big, interesting world-building thing that we talked a lot about in the room, which was, you know, if you grow up and you're totally sheltered, like, what do you learn about the outside world? Do you have weird ideas about how, like, sort of, quote-unquote, real people live there, as opposed to in this retreat, um, especially when you're a kid growing up and you have no other sort of influences? I really appreciate that correction, Curtis. Absolutely. That speaks to sort of the, the specificity of the language that you guys created clones versus originals, you know, source versus echoes. And, and it really just adds to the specificity of this world. Uh, it, it seems like you guys had, you know, and even like through the actual plot line, it seems like you guys had looked at and analyzed every single possible permutation. You know, all the clues are laid out there. It's one of those podcasts that I think that you might even after you sort of go through the series, want to hear it again with, with fresh eyes, and you can hear so much more detail and get more out of it, things that you might miss the first time because you weren't aware at first, you know, sort of what each character was masking or, you know, until it becomes absolutely clear at the end. But yeah, it really does seem like there were even parts while recording it that I was like, wait, but but didn't wasn't that information revealed to the killer after how did they know to go here? And then Rhoda was like, oh, well, actually, there is that one line, you know, where they learned that information. And I was like, you're absolutely right. It requires you to listen so carefully. The plot line is weaved so intricately that uh, I really have to give you guys credit for that. Yeah, it, it definitely took some work to do that. And uh, I, I do also have to credit our uh... Our, our editor, Mike Braff, who, like, after we had written all the episodes, like, he went through and, you know, read through them all at once for the first time. And, like, came up, came back to us with uh, continuity issues, like, character voice issues, like, this person sounds different here and here because different people are writing different shows. And, yeah, just making sure, like, everything was sort of, like, fitting together right. And, yeah, and for myself, listening to it now, and especially the first couple episodes, like, hearing, like, oh, yeah, we did set that up pretty well. This is going to pay off later. It was really cool. For both of you, listening listening once the show is finished, were there any, like, surprises? Were there any things that you're like, wow, this is way different than I thought? Or, wow, this is cooler than I thought? Or, this is something that I didn't even think about? Were there any kind of big surprises or just things that you noticed that were were really interesting to you? I mean, for me, mostly, like, it's very much, it's even cooler than I than I thought it, it was going to be. You know, not just with Harry, like, doing such a great job with the, the voice work, but also with the music and the, the audio and just adding that that whole texture so that when someone is listening, hopefully they, they get much more of a sense of being immersed in the world. Yeah, I really have to tip my hat to all of the sound engineers and, and, and sound producers, Kaylin West. I work with very closely and also realm believing in this project so much that and investing in hiring four additional you know asian actors to provide a lot of the adr work the the background uh conversations that you might hear in the police department or in in the in the apartment complex or you know or or in at the retreat and uh it, it just provides so much more texture to the world and then sort of like how they layer that in where it's so clear what is the narration you know what is the voice that you hear in your ear that is james's voice telling the story or sometimes not james but yeah wait until you get to episode eight that's a surprise for everybody that you'll hear a different perspective and uh, i'm so excited for that to happen but also just 
what is what is near, what is far, what is through a telephone. It really helps to tell the story, the sound engineering. It, it really is just one of the things that Realm does so well. I have a very important last question, which is, would you want to have your own clone? And if so, what would you have them do in your place? Yeah, I mean, I, I've always wanted to have a twin, you know. I just think it would be cool to the whole like parent trap thing to like switch things up and, and, you know, see if people can like tell you apart or, but yeah, more people to like share the workload, you know, maybe, and to, to be able to be at two places at the same time, that'd be amazing. You know, I'm thinking of multiplicity, that movie with Michael Keaton. So I've also thought about this is, is that, uh, can you really live with yourself? You know, would you, would you hate yourself? You know, there, there are so many things about relationships where you criticize the other person. And usually that's because they exhibit the things that you hate most about yourself in a way, you know? Uh, and so there's, there's a trap there, you know, of, of like knowing someone so well. And, and yet at the same time, I don't know, I, I imagine myself getting, getting to fight with myself a lot. <laughs> yeah i think that that'll be my biggest fear with a, a clone is like seeing myself from the outside and like wow do i really look like that do i really do that with my whatever <laughs> and yeah i mean there was that uh i think it was on netflix that series with paul rudd literally called living with yourself i think where he like goes and has himself cloned at this like shady place in a strip mall of course <laughs> and then doesn't turn out the way he, he you know he hoped it would mm -hmm. That story went to some weird places. The most interesting sort of stories I can think of involving clones are things that uh, sort of, you know, recognize the fact that, you know, even if someone is, you know, your genetic twin, like they're still their own person and they're like a different, and to, to go way back, there was a, well, was it in the 90s? There's an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie called The Sixth Day. I don't know why, <laughs> but like it was like he was cloned and uh, and it was one of those things where, you know, they also have this magic like technology, which like duplicates your memory. So like the clone didn't, it was a full grown clone of him who didn't know he was a clone and it was this whole thing. But um, I did appreciate that. I'm just going to spoil it because it's been like since the 90s. Um, but like at the end, like they didn't have to like kill off the clone so that, you know, only one of them could survive, right? Like they recognize that, you know, you came into this world in a weird way, but you're still a person with all of the, you know, the rights that a person should have. So we're just going to figure something out. And, you know, along the same lines, um, I'm a big Star Trek fan. So like a next generation when Will Riker gets cloned and now there's Thomas Riker and, uh, and I love that that, you know, shows up again in Lower Decks. Anyway, like I really like stories that sort of address those issues uh, because I think they have an, a very real opportunity to sort of uh, come back to our like, current real world conversation about like who, you know, who gets to be considered a person under the law and like have like these full, you know, civil rights or bodily autonomy, you know, and uh, yeah, and I think that's, you know, that's really important. You guys are so deep. I'd be like, I'm going to send my clone to do errands for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, obviously, but like sort of beyond that, it's like. like... <laughs> Pick up my drag cleaning. Um, well, thank you both so much for taking the time to talk. Is there anything else you would like to talk about that we didn't cover? Things you want to plug that are coming up that, Curtis, I don't know if you have any books coming up, something that you want to promo. <laughs> Not really. I mean, nothing, nothing coming out real soon. 
but yeah, um, hope people are enjoying Echo Park. And you know, if you are, definitely check out some of the other shows on Realm, like the, the ones I worked on, I can vouch for Machina and Nine Step Murders. But there's a lot of other great stuff. And pun, I didn't know you were in ElfQuest. I, I played Ryak in ElfQuest, and actually, ElfQuest was one of my favorite comic books growing up. I think it's like one of the most spiritual comic books out there. And it was such an honor to be able to play uh, Ryak in the series. So check out, check that out. That's also on the Realm Podcast Network. And uh, yeah, I'll just leave it at that for now. Awesome. Thank you both again. It's been uh, like so much insight. I don't, I don't really understand how any of it works, but <laughs> every time I get to go to the studio and like hear what's happening, I'm just like, this is amazing. I don't know how people do this. <laughs> it's so cool. And then it kind of just all comes together and it's neat to hear the final product. So I know so many people like worked really hard on it. So good work. <laughs> Congrats. And yeah, I encourage you, I encourage you to look on social media and see how excited people are about the show. Cause they're really like so many engaged people. And I know they love Harry, but they also are like, I can't wait for the next episode. I'm so shocked. What's going to happen? Like, it's just, it's really cool to see. <laughs> Thank you. The last thing that I wanted to say was that uh, there were moments where I so appreciated Curtis that the writer's room was was available to us as we were recording it. There was one moment when we were we were recording the penultimate, you know, climax where something wasn't clear. I don't want to give things away, but but I got on the line with Rhoda and, you know, over a lunch break, she had worked with you guys to to sort of hammer out like a new version of that that was clearer. And that's so rare to have everyone caring at that level and available and creating, you know, in the moment like that. And it shows in the work. So thank you. Yeah. No, thank you for, uh, for everything you did. And I have to say, I really appreciate how Realm, like they sort of fostered this very collaborative environment the whole way through, you know, from, you know, initial development all the way through writing and production and so yeah you know we were we were happy to sort of be involved as writers you know even that late in the process because we also like really cared about the story and you know wanted to get it right thank you so much for listening we hope you enjoyed it and if you did don't forget to like and subscribe and maybe even give us a five-star review thanks again You're listening to Echo Park, starring Harry Shum Jr. Echo Park is a Realm production. Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. 
the team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Echo Park stars Harry Shum Jr. Written by Curtis C. Chen, Monty Lin, Millie Ho, Sloane Leong, and Jen Reese. Produced by Rhoda Belleza, Fred Greenhalge, Kaylin West, and Haley Wagreich. Directed by Pun Bandu. Executive produced by Molly Barton, Marcy Wiseman, Julian Yap, and Harry Shum Jr. Associate produced by Michael Coulter. Starring Harry Shum Jr. and Nikki Toazon. Loop Group actors David Chen, James Taku Leung, Constance Parng, and Artemis Snow. Sound design by Krista Giametti. Mixing and mastering by Rory O'Shea. Audio editing by Jason DeWald. Original score by Martin D. Fowler. Music supervision by Marcus Begala. Production manager Alexis Latshaw. Production coordinator, Angela Yee. Casting by Sunday Bowling and Meg Mormon. Cover art by Kendall Thomas and Louise Daisy. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Asadolahi. Find more shows like Echo Park by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.